It has been a wonderful summer, but the return of the club football season is almost upon us, and that means the One Football Podcast is back with a vengeance. I'm Dan Burke, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good morning. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Good morning. Morning, morning. So we're going to be previewing the new Premier League and Bundesliga seasons today. But firstly, a couple of things to discuss. Uh, the most important thing was how was your, how was your summer, guys? I, I'm going to come to you on that first, Matt, because you've had a particularly interesting summer, haven't you? I have, yeah. Following the the Women's European Championships around for the last month, every England and Germany game, and it was enthralling. It was captivating. I I was so into it, just much like the rest of the country and the rest of Europe was, and. Uh, it literally couldn't have gone better. I, you know, I was kind of half rooting for Germany as well as England. So to see them both get to the final was brilliant. Um, along with Steffi from our German newsroom. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit it was more than emotional when the final whistle went. <laughs> there were, there were tears of joy, tears of pride. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can say I was there when England won a major, European, yeah. a major trophy because I have no idea how long it'll be to the next one. <laughs> it's kind of surreal, isn't it? Like even, you know, even though it is the women's team, you know, it's not the men's team. Like, you know, everyone kind of perhaps thought that would one would come first, but it's kind of weird just to see an England team win a major trophy like that. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was very emotional. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was amazing. And I think I, like we traveled, as I said, to every game. So we kind of got the width and breadth of the country and everywhere we went, it was really, it just, it just crazy. Everyone was mm. so into it. And I really, I really kind of enjoyed that. I didn't see any sort of, um, distaste towards the fact that it was the women's game it was just this is an England team so everyone's getting behind them and it was yeah, yeah. it was brilliant absolutely and as a, uh, a self-confessed uh, Scouse not English person Joel did you uh, did you feel any any pride towards that achievement or was it meaningless to you <laughs> uh, I feel like you've, you've hit me with a load of questions here. <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, I mean I mean no I mean I was, it was definitely you know a little bit of pride I, I am watching the final on Sunday and uh, well, I've seen, you know, sold out Wembley and, and, and obviously the good nature around it and, and the good atmosphere as well around it. But uh, in terms of supporting England team, it's, it's obviously, I've got my personal views behind that, but it, it, there's certainly a bit more, I would say, pride in there and sort of happiness from, from my behalf on, on, the, on the women's team and doing it. And, and uh, I've seen it and, and just, to be honest, just being honest, I watched um, a cracking game of football on Sunday it was nice and definitely a sort of the, getting you sort of pumped up for the, the upcoming season of the men's season because I mean some final itself finals tend to be across men's and women's can sometimes just be a bit sort of turgid and and they uh, mm. and uh, sort of cagey but I think I think uh, the final last Sunday was just a cracking game of football to watch so it was uh, really nice. Is that because it wasn't a cracking game of football between you two on Saturday or <laughs> was- wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was a great game. <laughs> I was going to say, Joel, surely you were still buzzing from the Saturday. Oh, I forgot how I was to celebrate a, a goal again. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 and like Darwin himself, my, my top was off and twirling around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realise that there were 10 other players on the pitch on either side. You would have thought from the build-up it was just Haaland versus Nunes in a one-on-one match for the Community yeah. Shield. Yeah, get get used to that. It's going to be that tedious every week, isn't it? Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what did he do? Where well, he scored a hat trick against Brentford. So let's see what Harlan does tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it, love it. 
Well, uh, yeah, we are all ready for the the club football season. The second thing I wanted to to bring up before we get stuck into our our preview is we're going to be making some interesting and uh, hopefully exciting changes to the One Football podcast this season. Uh, We're now going to be coming at you not once, not twice, but not thrice, but four, how do you say Four times? You've got to make thrice. it up now, Dan. Yeah. You've got to make up the word. Thrice? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, yeah. Four times a week anyway is what I'm trying to say. Uh, on Mondays and Thursdays, Matt and I are going to be doing a, a little show in tandem, a bit like this one, where we, we discuss all of the biggest matches, the biggest stories, the biggest talking points from the Premier League, the Champions League, European football and beyond. Uh, then we've got Lewis Ambrose. He'll be continuing with his uh, his weekly women's football podcast. And we also have a brand new Serie A podcast for lovers of culture coming your way too and what we really want this season Matt is uh, is more interaction with our listeners don't we absolutely when you, I'm, I'm getting like Dalgleish Roy Evans vibes here <laughs> 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 which we're is both, which we're both co-managing uh, I really don't know to be honest I'm not sure I know much about Roy Evans uh, to, to say whether he's more of a you <laughs> or me but yeah we want far more listener interaction and um, we'll put all your questions to each other every week and get more of the community involved in all the conversation rather than listening to me and you rattle on about the same opinions every, every week. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, well, the email address to uh, to get in touch with us, if you want to do so, is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, you can also tweet me directly at Dan, or uh, you can tweet Matt directly. What's your handle, Matt? It's Matt underscore Froelich. Matt underscore Froelich, nice and easy. There we go. Well, without further ado, let's uh, let's get stuck into the good stuff then and begin our our big preview of the 2022-23 season. Uh, we'll start with the Premier League. We'll start with the top and, and work our way down. Uh, I think we can also formulate a, a few uh, little predictions as we go along. So let's start with uh, the top two, shall we, as they, I suppose we have to call them that, given that they've been the top two for a few years now, uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, I suppose the question when it comes to City is... Uh, not why will they win the league again, but why might they not win the league again? What could stop them from winning the league again? I'll, I'll come to you first on that one, Matt, because uh, I think Joel might have some interesting opinions on this too. Yeah, funnily enough, I would say that my answer is probably going to be the same as Joel. <laughs> I think it was going to stop them is Liverpool being really good. Uh, I, I think the only thing that stopped Liverpool probably winning it in the last few years, because they've been as good, I think, as City, you've seen with how close they've been, is themselves. Mm. I think if there's just one or two poor results um, or poor runs of form from Liverpool, they're, they're effectively doing it to themselves because the rest of the time they are toe-to-toe with Manchester City. I mean, I'm trying to think how many how many have gone down to the last day in the last few years. It's been two, yeah. two last day games that have gone to Manchester City. Uh, one of them Liverpool have won. So it's only really once in the last four years um, that Liverpool haven't, been there or already won it on the final day. So I think they're the ones that are, are going to stop Manchester City. But yeah, you're right. It is just it is just those two. Um, and City may have lost a couple of attacking players, but they've also brought in Haaland, who I think will do fine. Mm-hmm. Who knows? He may not, you know, get ridiculous 30, 40 <laughs> goals a season. But even a striker adding 20 goals to this Manchester City team is still good enough to just keep them at the level that they're at, if not improve them. Yeah, I suppose the question is, will City actually improve straight away with Haaland? Will there be an adaptation period? Are they going to allow other teams to gain ground on them while that's happening? It kind of looked like in the Community Shield last week that they they just weren't really used to having a central striker to play the ball into and and De Bruyne wasn't really reading his runs. They haven't really sort of formed the proper understanding yet. And however long it takes Haaland to settle could be, you know, the difference between 
success and failure for City, I guess, because he's going to play every game, you know, when he's fit and available. And I suppose his injuries might have a, a bearing on things as well. But in theory, like, you know, City adding one of the best strikers in the world to an already brilliant team just means they're going to get better and and uh, and win the league. So Joel, from Liverpool's perspective, what do you think is uh, is is the sort of thing that you're hanging your hat on as to why Liverpool can win the league this season? I mean, making sort of pre-season predictions can, can before the airballs even kick, can, uh, can sort of uh, make a fool of you, can't you? But um, I, think, <laughs> I think we're all safe to say that the top two will probably, well, more than likely will be the same two again, Liverpool and Manchester City. I think from a, a Liverpool point of view, be able to sort of topple them and, and, and tip them to the, the battle this year. Um, I would be hanging my hat on the fact that I think Liverpool's... I, I would say Man City's starting on 11 um, is probably the best in the league and better than Liverpool's. But I think in terms of squad depth, I do look at Liverpool's and think maybe they just have a, a few more options um, in, in the midst of a sort of a, a worst possible energy crisis than, than, than Man City do. And I actually think they'll do... I know we could probably speak about the will. We'll cover more detail later on, but I think the World Cup actually could work in Liverpool's advantage to um, to some extent because you know, sort of looking at the the amount of plays that could go from from both sides and um, in the middle of the campaign, and I, I think you know it's more than likely a lot of Man City starting eleven, and, and, and let's say let's say they've got a team of you know a squad of eighteen players that um, they'll use more consistently throughout the season. A lot more of them will be going than Liverpool's. If you look at Liverpool's, you know, Mohamed Salah's not going to go, Luis Diaz isn't going to go. Um, and then you look at some of the players that, that actually will go in the terms of, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, Jordan Henderson, um, they they possibly won't even start and then they could go to World Cup or could come back, still come back quite fresh. And I think that does work in Liverpool's favour that they, they might become, so come back from the World Cup at the end of December could just be a little bit more fresher than than Man, than Man City, and if we're, t- we're talking about sort of the smallest margins possible when it comes to these two, because you know when when they both had both gone head to head the last days of the season in those two campaigns uh, and last season being one of them, it's literally been a point and, and you know sitting like a goal separating them, um, and in, it might just be the smallest of margins that separates them again, um, and this is. When we sort of talk about Haaland and, and, and you know Darwin Nunez coming in uh, this summer, it's this is going to be one of sort of the interesting subplots of the season. Not necessarily the sort of the turgid sort of Haaland v Nunez, Messi v Ronaldo kind of storyline. Hmm. Like, come on, more just in terms of how these two teams are going to develop and, and, and adapt, and um, in terms of having these two number nines because suddenly you know. The two best teams in in Europe and possibly the you know the world over the last four or five seasons have have achieved everything that you could possibly achieve and uh, without playing uh, sorry without playing with a number nine or, or you know, a mm. typical number nine and suddenly you know Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and, and the incredible coaching staff on, on both uh, both teams have decided now that they need to have a number nine and, and a central figure. So it's he's still thinking, what have they spotted? But but both <laughs> both teams have uh, are going to have to adapt to those new players. And you say there, but sort of it might take some time for De Bruyne to work out how Harlem moves, how he works. If with Liverpool, they can sort of throw Roberto Firmino in there for six weeks, or maybe it takes time to adapt. And even it might even just come down to that that Liverpool can. Uh, can use that their time to, to sort of uh, settle new winners, new winners in. Uh, whereas with City, can they afford to sort of uh, 
for, for Haaland not hit the ground run from day one. Mm. I mean, maybe. I mean, they did all right without him last season and the season before, didn't they? So it kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is the thing that people are saying like, oh, what if Haaland gets injured, City are in big trouble? And it's like, well, we do have other players. Like we do have other forward players. Granted, we've let two of them go this summer, so that could be a problem. But yeah, I, I don't think like, I don't know how much of the season does really hang on Haaland really, despite what I said earlier. I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um Dan, do you think Alvarez is uh, a good enough then to kind of step in if Haaland isn't doing it? Or is he going to be overlooked and just get substitute minutes or Carabao I think, up? yeah, I think, well, the best I've seen of him so far in the, the three preseason games that he's played is uh, he plays sort of out wide on the right. And that seems to be a bit more suited to him at the moment. I think he's, uh, you know, he's quite a slight figure. And I think he might end up getting bullied out of games by you know, big centre-halves um, to begin with until he kind of learns the ropes of English football a little bit better. So I think putting him out wide might be better. And that's that's an interesting interesting option that City have that they can play him in centrally or out wide. So I think he he's definitely one to watch. Like I don't expect miracles from him straight away, but I think it could be, could be decent. Um, I was going to ask, you might actually like... Joel talking about Darwin Nunez there and, and how, how Liverpool have, have replaced Sadio Mane. Do you think they've adequately replaced Sadio Mane? Is that kind of a like-for-like like replacement? Not really, because he seems to be playing through the middle as, as opposed to Mane playing out left. Maybe in terms of goals, mm. um, they could have replaced him. I just think Liverpool's have got so much uh, so much strength and depth, like Joel mentioned, in the attacking area that they could move players around Jota, we saw him play out wide for Wolves, although he's been a bit more central for Liverpool, but can do both. Um, obviously, like I said, Firmino can come in. I think it's not necessarily just a like-for-like like replacement or one-for-one, one, but it's a culmination of, of all the other players that can definitely mm. try to replace what Mane brought. Although, yeah, he was a very unique and special player, and I don't think you're ever going to get a player who's just like Mane to fit in on that left-hand side could do everything that he could do. But I think... Yeah, that the whole attacking lineup can eventually fill in for what Mane was bringing to the team. Yeah, I think we might be uh, we might be getting the fraudometer out for someone this season. I don't know if it's going to be Brendan Rodgers again. You know, maybe Haaland, maybe Nunez, maybe they'll be subjected to it this year. We'll uh, we'll see. Let's uh, let's move on a little bit then, shall we? And uh, and look at the the other you know the other four of the top six and, and maybe some other potential title challengers. I'll come to you first on this one, Joel. Do you reckon Spurs are a genuine title challenger this year? I think it's fair to consider them um, a title challenger, absolutely. And they, mainly because of the guy who's in charge of them, because he's he's beaten mm. Pep Guardiola a year and crop to a Premier League title before at Chelsea. And uh, so he happens to be quite good at his job, which which helps. <laughs> um, and there's also the fact that I think, you know, they, they had a very good end to last season. Um, and that's sort of, you know, if you, if you have a good second half of the season, that can help you go into the next season, especially the way how compact sort of, and, and the sort of small difference between uh, sorry, the small break between last season and this season. I, I kind of feel like it's a, an extension of last season, um, especially the first half of this campaign anyway. So I think that helps that they can sort of you know, ride away with the momentum of, that they built up last year. And um, they've had a very good transfer window as well, or certainly on paper they have. And, and obviously, you know, ball hasn't been kicked yet. So whether, you know, you've won the transfer window doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win loads of football games. But I think yeah. there's definitely... You know, both players in the right areas to suit a Conte team, especially with Ivan Pedersic and, um, and and Jed Spence. Definitely looks like he has potential to be a very good wing back. And you know, with, with Charles and 
although I'm not quite sure how big a ceiling is or how high a ceiling is, but what he does offer is... I've not been to his house, so I can't, I can't comment on that. <laughs> you set him up for that one so easily, Joel. <laughs> What, what he does do, though, is, is allow them to, to rest Harry Kane and, and Son, which they've not really been able to do for a few years because they've not had the the uh, adequate backup. But and those two, you know, the, how, how good they've been for, for years. They're sort of, I reckon, hitting their, the, the, maybe their peak year now. Um, and that, that could, that all, all these factors can combine for, for Spurs to definitely close the gap a little bit. I, I, I think they're going to be a very comfortable third, and I think they'll be sitting... Third, in terms of there will be no interest in, in the top four battle. Um, whether they're going to completely challenge Liverpool City remains to be seen, but I think we'll be sitting here in March and, and considering Spurs in the title challenge, but maybe by the end of March, the start of April, they might just be, be out of it. But um, that makes them closer than they've been for, for a long time anyway. Yeah, they, they'd be my pick for third place at the moment, I would say. I think I've been really impressed with the uh, the, the summer transfer business. I mean, Matt, you're a, a pretty self-confessed pessimistic Spurs fan, I think it's fair to say. Uh, are are yeah. you feeling that there might be a, an outside chance of the title this year, or is it too uh, much? Yeah, it's too much. And that's not even my uh, self-confessed pessimism coming in. I just think the others are too good. Like it's it's To, to win a title these days, you're looking at 95-plus points. Um which is absolutely absurd. I mean, even if Liverpool or Manchester City, if one of them had a bad season, the chances of both of them having a bad season is, you know, it's just kind of out of this world. And I, I agree that I think Spurs' transfer business has been brilliant. I think Conte's amazing. The squad looks really good. The back end of last season was fantastic. Um, I think Spurs' record point hauls in 2016-17 was 85 or 86 points. Um, so, yeah, like I said, they could have a record-breaking season at Tottenham win however many games, you know, get 90, 92 points and still comfortably be third. Yeah, so but I, I mean, it, I, yeah. it is a weird season with the World Cup slap bang in the middle of it. That could affect yeah. things. Maybe the, I, I've got a feeling the points total to win the league might be a bit lower than usual this year. Do, do you reckon? But cause, because, I mean, yeah, just going off the last few years, City and Liverpool have been so consistent that, you know, to win a title with... Fergie used to win it with like 78 points or something. <laughs> Like you know, so so far of what of what Klopp and Guardiola are achieving now that from that perspective, Spurs could have a brilliant season and still be uh, you know off the title. But having said that, I think with Conte, there could be an outside hope. But no, I wouldn't I wouldn't stake any sort of money on it. Yeah. What What about the, the summer signs? Positive. So. <laughs> yeah. What What do you reckon they've got any any sort of glaring weaknesses? Spurs. They seem to have sort of ticked every box with the transfer window this year, really. Especially the um, wing backs. That seems a a really interesting uh, couple of signings they've made there. I think the left wing back is still a bit of an issue, unless Ryan Sessegnon sort of uh, builds on the good end to last season and can really improve. Which there's no reason why he can't under Antonio Conte. We just haven't seen it massively just yet. Um, yeah, Jed Spence is like a really good player. But again, there's, you know, as much as I think he was brilliant for Nottingham Forest, the, the step up from Championship to Champions League is massive, mm. you know, and to be uh, consistent enough to have a starting spot sealed in a, you know, a title challenging team is, is you know, an enormous step. Um, I think Longley could be a good backup. I'd still think that Spurs need another maybe creative midfielder, not necessarily to start ahead of the likes of Basuma, who I think is brilliant, and, and Bentacore and Hoybier. I think just to change things up a bit. I, like you mentioned, with being able to rest the likes of Son and Kane, Charleston is obviously Kulisewski. That's fine. But I think it's a plan B in a match. I think Spurs in the last few seasons, their Achilles heel has been breaking down 
poorer teams, teams that sit deep, um, you know, hitting on the counter-attack like at City away or or against Liverpool, stuff like that, great. Spurs can do it really, really well. But uh, yeah, breaking down a low-block team, they might need someone, and as much as I wasn't his biggest fan when he left, someone like Christian Eriksen, where you could slightly tweak the formation, mm. have two strikers up front instead of a 3-4-3, three, three, um, put someone in the number 10 role to sort of buzz about and be a bit more creative. There isn't really anyone in the Spurs squad like that. Um, for the number 10 role. And I think that could maybe be one uh, one area where they could improve just to change a game. Yeah. You know, just to, just to have that game change and that bit of magic on the pitch. Ericsson could have come in. I'm trying to think. Yeah, you had the chance to sign him, I guess, this year. Yeah, I guess that obviously wasn't on the cards. Um, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss to think who, who they could sign <laughs> or, or who they could have signed. But you know what I mean? Everyone else seems to be either a midfielder or an attacker. There's no one really in between. Obviously, Deli Alli left in January as well, although that really wasn't going to work out. <laughs> yeah, that so, ship had yeah, sailed, I think. Yeah, yeah, that ship had sailed. The only one who I can think to drop into a number 10 role would be Kane. But then obviously, you're either resting him or you want him up front. So you, you know, yeah. have Kulosevsky playing that role? Can he not do that? Yeah, I, I think he could. I mean, he's been so good on the right-hand side. Mm. Um... The only way I could see it is if, yeah, if, if Spurs were in a three defenders, four midfielders, and instead of a front three, so Son left, Kulusevski right, Kane in the middle, mm. you'd have Kane and Son up front centrally, and then Kulusevski in behind, um, or Richarlison and Kane up front, Son in behind, something like that. I just think a game changer off the bench would be worth, you know, a couple of extra points in the season, uh, rather than some disappointing losses or, or draws against the so-called weaker sides. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Richarlison signing is an interesting one. I'm interested to see where he fits in because I've got a feeling Kane's going to have a really stellar season this year. He looks like I he's, do as well, yeah. He's really, he's really up for it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think Richarlison plugs a few holes, like the left and the centre and even the right as well. You yeah. know, it, it, that, that, that really helps us because bringing Lucas Moron was all right for Kulazewski, but it wasn't quite at that level. And yeah, I think Jumin Son has... Feels like he's played every single game for about six years. <laughs> like it's just yeah. it's just a bit mental, yeah. So he probably he'll need a break at some point. And like yeah. you said, the World Cup's coming up. Sure is. Uh, what about Arsenal, Joel? Have you been impressed with their summer business? Do you think they look like they uh, they might kick on a bit this season? They've made they seem to have made um, some some clever acquisitions. Uh, you know, I think Alexander Zinchenko is the type of player that you know probably too got... soon. Too soon. I'm still <laughs> upset about that one. He'll be crying as well. Uh, God bless him. <laughs> um, but I, I think he, he looked. I think he looked good every time he played for City, and, and, and you know, sort of adapted to playing left back um, where he needed to. And I, and I think that that's something City might miss a little bit in terms of his ability to come in and, and just do a job where he needed. But I think it's one of them where he'll come in and, and probably play every week for Arsenal and, and look like he deserves. To play well, whether that's going to be at left back or, or central midfield remains to be seen. I probably think will, think will be the latter. Um, and Gabriel Jesus is number one. Who I think I think he he's I think he's in line to have a really good season as well. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be my fantasy team anyway because <laughs> reckon he, he could get fifteen to twenty goals. And um, and and you know Arsenal fans will, will take the love him. But I, I think they, they, they have had a good transfer window on paper, and I think they, it looks like they're in line to sort of progress again. But enough to get in top four. I'm I'm not entirely sure yet. There's still a little bit something missing about, about Arsenal and I, I think they're gonna they are gonna look good at times this year and I think they're probably going to you know, beat some of the lower teams in the in, in the league um, and 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 beat them comfortably four or five nil on occasions at the Emirates and, and we'll we'll be talking that weekend about how good they look and how, how they look like a top four team. 
But they did, they did that a couple of times last season, and then they just seem to have these sort of bursts where they, they, they fall apart. And, 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 and they're, they're sort of a patchy team, I'd say, like, you know. You know, last year they, they beat uh, Chelsea and Man United in one week, and the next week they end up losing to Fox, they lose to you know, mm. Spurs and Palace in the same week. And it's, I, I think that's just, a, just just something not quite like maybe with their mentality, let's say that. And I think Michael Arteta probably knows this because I'm pretty sure we've all seen, and everyone listeners have seen the, the, the clip that came out from the documentary about how he. Played and never walked alone on um, <laughs> on the speakers at the training grounds. So yeah. to go to Anfield. So that that's clearly a sort of an, an interesting way of sort of trying to adapt it and improve their mentality. But I think he knows there's a bit of an issue there. And and listen, they could have improved on that in the, in the close season. And I think I'm angry with Chan Bowles uh, come the start of it, and, and they have, they, <laughs> they sort of have developed as, as a team. But they're just missing a few little, I'd say, grown ups. I think they need sort of a <laughs> a boring signing in central midfield, maybe to help their spine. The type of player that you probably don't get on, on the back of his shirt, but comes in and, and just does you know, the dirty work and helps lead the team. I, I think they're, they're missing that type of player. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's throwing names around, but I think they're sort of missing a few, let's say, leaders in their team at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying to think who, who you could possibly sort of be referring to there, who, who, who constitutes a boring midfield signing in this day and age. <laughs> When Liverpool signed uh, Ginny Wijnaldum uh, back in 16-17, it's mm. one that everyone was rushing to go get the name of his back of the shirt. But he comes in and just does a complete job for the team and, and helps that midfield and sort of makes him a bit more mature in, in the midfield. And it, it's, it's just that type of player is kind of needed. Not not, not someone who's going to win you the game every week in terms of scoring a winning goal or scoring a 25-yarder. Is to sort of change the game, but just someone who's going to just help lead the team in that sort of sense. Um, but, but yeah, who's who's out there to do that? You yeah. know? It's probably good for the uh, Liverpool club shop staff that people weren't rushing out to get Vinealdum's name on the back of the shirt because I still have to check how that's spelled every time I write it. Like I've, <laughs> I, I can, I never. Where's the I and the J go? Is it that way? Yeah, it's just never. Yeah, yeah. Day, isn't it? Yeah, very suspect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Arsenal, I don't I would be astonished if they were sort of title challengers, but I think they've improved. I would I would probably pick them to finish finish fourth, maybe. Um I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how Gabriel Jesus does as well, you know, after his time at City when he he did very well, but he, he wasn't quite consistent enough uh for my liking, really. He, he sort of didn't really have that presence in front of goal where you thought, Oh, this guy's always gonna score, you know, he's got that kind of that uh that real instinct in front of goal to, to take chances all the time. He'd, he'd fluff a few chances and you could see it was getting into his head. So that feels a bit like the sort of player that Arsenal uh, maybe don't need, but who knows, maybe he'll, he'll really spread his wings when he goes there. And what, what do you think about Odegaard as captain then? I think it's a pretty sensible choice, yeah. I think he's got his head screwed on. He's, what, only 23 or something, isn't he? But he's uh, is he Norway captain already? So Yeah, because just Joel mentioning sort of a, a more mature head in the midfield there. Yeah. If he's your most mature player at 23 years old, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't really strike me as a team full of leaders if you haven't got anyone else. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, we spoke about Granite Xhaka last season a bit, didn't we? And, uh, you know, him sort of throwing the players under the bus at the end of yeah. last season and stuff like that. So maybe it's time for a bit of a refresh. I mean, I'm still not thoroughly convinced by Arteta as a coach, really. I think he's done a, a pretty good job with them, but... Um, yeah. I think the jury's still kind of out on him, but yeah, I, I would imagine that with the signings they've made, they'll be they'll be a decent shot for top four this year. 
I mean, the, the other the other contenders for that are, are Chelsea and Man United. What do you think about Chelsea, Matt? Do you think it will all come together for them? A bit too chaotic at the moment? Oh, honestly, I, I have a thing about Chelsea. It's not just because I'm a Spurs fan. There's an obvious <laughs> rivalry, right? And I mean this in the nicest way possible. But I can't stand or understand how Chelsea do it. <laughs> they will just, the club and the sanctions and this and that, and players in, players out, firing managers, this, that and the other, they'll still make big signings and they'll still finish top four. I just don't <laughs> get it. Like that, that, that load of crap a few seasons ago where they finished 11th and then won the title the following season. <laughs> How was that possible? Yeah. How? Like Honestly, everyone thought Chelsea were going to cease to exist a few months ago. And there was all this nonsense about them not, you know, not being a club. And then they go and say, oh, you know what? Raheem Sterling, yeah, fine. Koulibaly, sure. We'll go and sign a few others. And they'll be there in the top four. And I've no idea how. That that club could be an absolute shambles behind the scenes. And it will not affect them on the pitch. One iota at all. <laughs> it, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. So, yeah, it's absolute chaos at Stamford Bridge. Um, but they'll finish fourth. So, <laughs> no big deal. And it drives me nuts, as you can tell. Yeah, I mean the transfer strategy is uh, seems a very sort of I don't know I don't know if scattergun is the right word, but like you know there's some talk about them bidding what 75 million for Wesley Fofana now. They're maybe close to signing Mark Kukurea for like 50 odd million. Like yeah, lots a lot of money for a couple of defenders, isn't it? Yeah. And, None of it makes sense, and it will yeah. still work out in the end, <laughs> and they'll still beat Tottenham at Stamford Bridge. Like it just it drives me nuts. So they you know when you look at the um, I think it was how many managers did Abramovich go through in about. 20 years or 19 years. It was something oh, ridiculous. Yeah. And yet they won every single trophy in world football <laughs> during his reign, whilst just absolute chaos reigned in the dressing room with, yeah. with players and, and everything. Like It's just, it's something about the club. They just have that success instilled in them from the last 20 years that I wouldn't ever bet against them, to be honest. I mean, it helps if you've thrown the kind of cash around that they have as well, to be fair, you know. Uh, yeah, well, true, but you've seen it with Man United and that doesn't always work out, throwing true. cash around. Um, you've seen it with Spurs as well, that definitely doesn't always work out. And with <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal have been the biggest spenders in the last couple of seasons and they're still in a Champions League football. So, yeah, it seems to make sense. Finance makes sense for everybody except for Chelsea they just sort of do what they like and get away with it it's unbelievable yeah I've seen Joel a few um, a few sort of pre-season predictions from people saying that, uh, that they don't expect Tuckle to last the season you know maybe he'll be gone by Christmas all that kind of thing I, I have to say it's something I could kind of see happening there seems to be I don't know what the relationship with him and Todd Bowley is like, but there was a there was a story this week that Todd Bowley would really like them to sign Cristiano Ronaldo and Tuchel won't have it and sort of put his foot down. Is that something that you could see falling apart quite quickly? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's gone by the World Cup one way or the other. <laughs> whether it's him getting sacked or whether he just decides to, to pack it in himself. Because it, it does seem like he's got, from the outside, that he's got little to no control of who to bring him in. Um, it, it does seem like the, the top ball is coming in and, and, and whether this is incorrect or not he's kind of just playing football manager where he, he's, just, <laughs> he's, he's just got you know, he's seen a load of uh, players that other teams seem to be interested in he's going oh yeah I'll have a bit of that and I'll try and put a bit in as well and uh, it doesn't seem to be too much sort of um, planning behind the potential transfers they're bringing in I mean Mark Cucurella is a you know Looks like a very good footballer who's got potential to be, to be you know, sort of a top six player. And um, I don't think Man City would be interested in if he wasn't. But do Chelsea really need to bring in a, a left wing back this summer? You know, it's, unless Ben Chilwell is, is, is you know, indie problems are more to see than they wouldn't you know, led on to now. But 
there, there seems to be other issues in that squad, especially up, up top. And the Christian Ronaldo link is, you know, whether that's more about sort of trying to improve Chelsea's profile in, in, in you know, in other countries, I'm not sure. I, I, whether they even need that, I, I don't know. It all seems a little bit of chaos, but, you know, as Matt let on, I think he is completely correct. Chaos is sort of this fact. <laughs> We love the drama, and and I, I think Chelsea could change man, manager mid-season, have a you know a sort of terrible first part of the season, and still finish fourth. And I think. I oh God! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows? Yeah, that, the Cucurella one's interesting, like because th- there was um, a rumor the other day that the. Uh, they see him as a, p- a potential centre back. He could play centre back, maybe. And it's like he's five foot eight. Like, surely that's not going to work. That doesn't seem like left centre back. I'm assuming. Yeah, but even so, like you know, you you have to have a bit of aerial yeah. presence to play there, don't you? So uh, it it almost feels like they've got, they've seen that City were interested in him and gone. Well, if they want him, then he must be good. Let's get him in, and you know, never <laughs> mind the money. We'll we'll pay what you want. We'll do it. Like, and it's almost a bit of bit it's of a panic the buy. Thing is centre back, though, isn't it? Because. My United signed Danny DeVito to play centre back. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh that's true. I've also just seen they signed the Aston Villa kid. Um, oh, Carney. Ch- yeah, Carney. Ch- is it Chukwemeka? Um, I- I'm not going to put my cards on the table and have a go at that. So yeah, you, you, I, you've done I, it for us, Matt. I watched it. Was it uh, the um, England earlier in the summer? Was it the under 19s? Mm. Um, and he looks brilliant, by the way. Yeah, unbelievably good. Um, um, player, very very skillful. I can't see him making much impact, but that one seems sensible. Signing a good young English prospect, spending fifty million on a five for eight centre back. I'm not quite sure about. Yeah, it's what twenty I, twenty million for Chukwemeka. It's like yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot, but you know if he, if he fulfills his potential, it's nothing, yeah. is it really? Yeah. So yeah, yeah exactly. I've I've seen crazier money thrown around in this transfer window. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, of Man United, then how do we how do we think Ten Hag is going to do? The early the early preseason signs look pretty good. He seems to be you know not afraid to speak his mind and put his foot down. He he was slagging off Cristiano Ronaldo publicly yesterday, which I thought was uh, was quite impressive to kind of have the bravery to do that. I guess. Um, do you think the window has been good enough for them, Matt? Um, I guess it depends. Really, it depends how Ten Hag views the squad. Whether you look, Pogba's gone. I think that was probably a big plus in most Manchester United fans' eyes. Uh, he's brought in some players that obviously he fits will suit that he thinks will suit the system. Players like Donny van der Beek coming back, not getting rid of him, may have sounded like a stupid idea under previous management. You know, he obviously wasn't bringing any worth. They found him out on loan to Everton. But under Eric Ten Hag, he could have a better plan for him like we've seen at Ajax and things could work out. So I think, uh, you know, the old expression, everyone's got a clean slate. We don't really know what is necessarily a good or bad transfer window for this Eric Ten Hag side because he could have completely other plans. Um, you know, selling your top goal scorer never sounds like a good transfer window, but <sighs> if it means Cristiano Ronaldo's out of the team and Ten Hag can mould it in more in his style, then you know maybe that's a good thing. So I, this is definitely one of those you have to wait and see. Just how it, it, it comes down to the whether or not United are going to be moving in the right direction or getting results. Yeah, you know, there's complete there's a complete disparity between the two. And somewhere at Manchester United, you don't always get uh, a lot of time to, to prove. Um, but yeah, I think it feels like they are giving Ten Hag full backing and it's going in the right direction. Look, we all know what's going to happen. If United don't win the first game of the season against Brighton <laughs> on Sunday, it's going to be you know, all hell's going to break loose. 
But I, I wonder kind of what that point is of we're seeing really good performances. We're seeing Ten Hag ball or whatever nonsense they're going to come up with. Um, you know, we're seeing his style of passing and moving on the pitch, this, that and the other. But they're in ninth, right, mm. or eighth. At what point do you think, all right, the transfer window hasn't gone good enough. We need to see more results. That's always that's always the question, especially with the bigger clubs um, and someone like Manchester United. So I think it's difficult to tell. I think Malassia looks like a good signing. I think Martinez is a good player, despite yeah. the fact, like John mentioned, I think vertically challenged might be, <laughs> might be the term to use. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. The good, the good thing is as well, they don't have... Um, Champions League football, so I know they, they sort of don't take the European <laughs> too seriously, but maybe that keeps them out of the limelight a little bit because that's the last thing they need as well. Is if things yeah. aren't going so well in the Premier League, you know, every Tuesday and Wednesday you're being embarrassed on the continental stage as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Ericsson's a solid signing for United. I think he'll yeah. do pretty good and maybe relieve a bit of the sort of creative burden on on uh, Bruno Fernandez, and we, we might see some some better form from him than we saw last season. I think. Ten Hag is a really good coach. You know, he would probably have been my uh, preferred successor to Guardiola when he leaves City, but obviously yeah. that, that's that's probably not going to happen now. Um, I think with with his style of football, you can see from pre-season that that kind of football, it's it's you, you can instill it quickly, but it takes a while to perfect, and yeah. that could be the, the the problem that for them that they they have a, a bit of an up and down season. You know, I wouldn't fancy them to finish in the top four. I definitely wouldn't fancy them to, to challenge for the title. Maybe you know. Sixth, I would I would probably pitch United out this season, which isn't great. But like you know, as you say, if the uh, if the performances are improving and 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 they can see a bit of uh, forward momentum, then I think that'll be that'll be decent enough for his his first season. Don't know about you, Joel, but I, I do think that this could be the beginning of the end of United's shit period, which uh, for you and I is a great shame, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's concerning, isn't it? Um, slightly, yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure just yet. Um, obviously, you know, season started, but. I think the thing that, that maybe they are starting to get right is I think transfer window wise it, it looks like they've got a bit more of a plan than they've had in, in, in the past because United have been known to sort of in the way that maybe Chelsea are doing now is uh, just throw money at, at any of them because it you know it looks like it it might be sort of nice and uh, it's a sexy thing to do and, and not necessarily something that's going to benefit the team and, and the squad. Whereas, you know, you can tell with the signers, Alessandro Martinez and, and um, Malasia that these are players that Ten Hag has clearly signed off on if he's not completely suggesting himself. Um, so I think that the, they are working towards, you know, this is what the head coach wants and this is going to fit their team. Um, and, and that is something that they, they've, they've not done for, for a long time. So, you know, that, that, that should, you know, be, you know, stuff that makes the you know, fans excited and, and sort of thinking, oh, this is going in the right direction. I'm, I'm not entirely sure about their their sort of attacking options so far. I mean, I don't think they should go into the season with Anthony Martial as their main striker. Um, you know, I, I'll, yeah. he's had a good pre-season, but I think that's been proven that it, it hasn't worked in the past. But again, you know, like uh, Matt was saying before about the clean slate, maybe, you know, Martial has that clean slate to prove himself now and uh, maybe Ten Hag is going to get something that a tune out of him. Um, that remains to be seen. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced, but... I, th- I think I, I also think they're going to end up finishing outside the top four and, and probably end up finishing sixth. But the, the thing is, with United fans, I think they, it's the ones I speak to anyway, and I think it's become sort of a, a common thing, you know, sort of feeling across their fan base, is that they've accepted now that they're not going to challenge for the title every season, um, yeah. despite the size of the club. But they, but they know that 
you know, they need to be working towards something. So if they do end up finishing sixth, but at the same time, they've seen good football all, all season. They've had a few youth prospects come through. There's an identity about them. I think they can get on board. Like, in the same way that Arsenal fans, I think, sort of dealt with not finishing the top four last season very well because they knew that they that they're working towards something and that he is heading somewhere and there is progress. I think if United have that kind of season, then they can finish sixth and still feel really, really good about themselves going into the next season and just know that that, that is heading somewhere and that's maybe a bit of concern for us, yeah. Yeah, trust the process. That's become the uh, the football mantra in recent years, hasn't it? I think there's uh, definitely a lot of truth to that. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if United haven't learned anything by now about the need to give managers time and let them sort of work things out, then uh, they never will, will they? I mean, who are they going to get in that could be a better prospect than, than Ten Hag anytime soon. It's there's, there's just not really the, the managers out there. I think they, they've got to stick with this guy for at least two or three years and, and see how it goes. And, you know, if, if after three seasons, they're still not seeing much progress, then, then maybe make a change then. But until then, uh, yeah, they've got to stick with it. And I think, I think getting rid of Cristiano Ronaldo is pretty crucial to them this year. I think they've got to find somewhere for him to go because I don't think he's going to work in, in Ten Hag system at all. And I think it's just... Uh, you know, not a good person to have in the dressing room if he doesn't want to be there either. So, get rid, I say. Uh, <laughs> before we uh, before we move away from the top six, let's have our, our our top six in order. I'll go first. I'm going to go City first, Liverpool second, Spurs third, Arsenal fourth, Chelsea fifth, United sixth. Matt, disagree with that at all? Uh, I was going to go exactly the same, except I think Liverpool might, might pip City oh. for the season. So I'm going to go Liverpool, City, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, United. Yeah, you're. Presumably going to go for Liverpool for the title, Joel? I am, yeah. I, yeah. Fair enough. I'm still not decided on fourth. Um, I, I think it's good between Arsenal and Chelsea. I just don't know. Depends on the chaos that issues with Chelsea, Chelsea. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Looking at the the kind of uh, the mid-riff of the Premier League table now, the, uh, the bit between... Top six and the bottom three, I guess. Uh, what? What? Do, I mean, West Ham have been the the sort of best of the rest in the past couple of seasons, haven't they? And, and you, you've sort of had Leicester outside of that. Are we expecting the same again from West Ham? Are they going to kind of punch above their weight? Are they maybe even going to do better now they've got Gianluca Scamacca? What do you reckon, Matt? I'm really excited to see him. I think he's been a, a brilliant player and that's as well though, in the last couple of years. I think... West Ham punching above their weight. Should they not be the seventh best team anyway? I I, I know they obviously were challenging for Champions League um, in the last couple of seasons, but I think with the, their budget, some of the players that they've got, the stadium, the fan base, I think I'm not sure seventh would be punching above their weight, and I can't see them breaking into the top six. Um, mainly because all the top six have improved on their squads, yeah. and unless someone is an absolute disaster this season. I just think that the top six are too far ahead now for anyone which, to break in. Which is pretty likely, you know. It's pretty likely that someone will have a disastrous season. You know, I, I don't know who it'll be. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it happens they, quite a lot, doesn't it? They, they could do, but I'm, I think a disastrous season, like, for example, everyone says United are having a disastrous season, blah, 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 and they still finish sixth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that disastrous season, the sixth counts, you know, as an unbelievably good season for West Ham. True. Um, yeah. I think... In all honesty, I'm not quite sure the rest of the Premier League, and this goes for quite a few teams, um, and I know we'll get onto some strugglers in a minute. Leicester really, I don't think they've brought anyone in, have they? No, nobody yet. Yeah, well, they've got uh, financial fair play problems, haven't they? They need to sell before they can buy anyone, basically. Yeah, um, I don't think 
Wolves or Brighton have particularly lit up the transfer market with any big signings, uh, certainly any big name sort of you know, guaranteed stars. Um, and I just can't see who else at Aston Villa have got, have got a few decent players in. I can't really see who else is going to be challenging that top six. And I think West Ham will probably be the leaders of the seventh place charge. Um, and that's that's kind of it, really. I just, I just, the the gap is growing, is basically what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. Crystal Palace have done some decent bits, but again, are they really going to be able to challenge consistently? They'll have their good, they'll have their wins against Manchester City um, throughout the season. And that's about it, really. I can't, yeah. I can't see them breaking in. <laughs> Or Everton. Yeah, I'm going to watch the uh, City Crystal Palace game uh, later this month, actually. And uh, oh, okay. I went. I went last season. Watched us lose to them. So uh, I hope that doesn't happen again. For You're the bad omen. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Aston Villa, Joel? I mean, that's uh, we, we've sort of said a lot last season that, that the the reckoning will come for Steven Gerrard this season. His first full season in charge didn't really rip up trees in the in the you know his first bit of first half season, whatever you want to call it, in charge last year. The pressure's going to be on him this year, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the Marina spent in bringing Diego Carlos for a lot of money. He spent a lot of money on a 29-year-old defender. Um, and, you know, the likes of the Dav on paper again had, had a very good uh, you know, sort of play in the transfer markets. Boom Park Kamara coming on the free. Yeah. Uh, looks like he's, he's going to be a good footballer. And, and they've gone mm. and spent what they spent on for the big Coutinho to bring him in. So um, the, the, there's clearly ambition there. And I, and I think of Aston Villa, it's. Gerard could be in trouble if, if they don't look like at some stage of season finishing sixth. I, I, I don't think they'll be expected to finish in sixth or in, get into the Europa League. But I, I think for, for Gerard, uh, for Gerard's safety as uh, his job and uh, Villa's progress um, going forward, I think they, they've got to look like at some stage of season that like they might finish in the top six. Um, and I, I think if they do finish seventh, they'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll be, you know, shaking hands and that'll be a very good season for them. But, um, if, you know, if they're looking like they're in the, in the bottom half and, you know, even as, you know, 12th, um, come the World Cup, I think, I think Gerard's job could be in, be in danger. But it's a, it's a very strange sort of part of the Premier League table because I think if you're looking at all the teams mentioned, you know, Palace, Villa, Leicester, um, and, you know, no one's really talked much about Newcastle this pre-season. Yeah. You know, we're expecting probably them to sort of go a bit more, you know, maybe be wild in the transfer market in the Athens. But none of these teams are, are in any danger of going down. But as I think, like you know, Matt alluded to there, that they've not, none of them are sort of strengthened enough to to have a real say at challenging West Ham in the seventh or, uh, or or even getting into the top six. And, and I think it's just like you know, they could start their season you know tomorrow, and then they could probably. You know, we can fast forward to, to May and it'll probably just be like, yeah, what well, well, we all in? <laughs> I, don't think we're yeah. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think Wolves are the one there that might drop out of this and be a bit more in danger, which probably can't speak to. But I think in terms of that, it's, yeah, Aston Villa should be close to West Ham um, than, than they were last season, but whether they will, we'll see. Uh, but Jared will be in danger if they aren't. Yep, the uh, the Premier League's midriff is uh, is getting fatter all the time. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny with Newcastle really because you know everyone probably expected them to go go crazy in the transfer market this year. They've got Nick Pope, who I think he's a, a decent signing, uh, decent enough signing anyway. Sven Botman, he's a good one. I think he'll be really good for them. Yeah, and that's it really, isn't it? I think they got Matt Target back, who was on loan last season. I, I don't think they've signed anyone else at, at the time uh, of recording. I have to look now, no, they haven't. I mean. 
they ended the season really strongly, didn't they? They looked really good. Do you think, Matt, they've they've done enough there to kind of kick on this year? They, they were perhaps targeting a top 10 finish this year. Is that in their wheelhouse? Yeah, so so when when you look at the back end of last season, and especially the form of St. Maxman was great, Joel Linton especially, and obviously they signed Gibbonage in, um, in January, who was a brilliant midfielder. When you add a quality keeper like Pope, I think Target's a decent left-back. I'm not sure he's ripping up any trees. Um, and Botman, a really quality centre-back from what we've seen at Lille, then yeah, they're sort of slowly building over the course of a few years. I imagine Newcastle to be evolving in sort of six-month stages as opposed to season-on-season. You know, Newcastle have put together a good team. They might target a top-ten finish, for example. If we get to the World Cup and they're sitting in seventh or eighth, they could then go, right, that's that period done of transition. Next, in January, we're going to start acting like a team who have ambitions of getting into the top six and they can move the goalposts in terms of their aims, in terms of who they can look for, who they can afford. They can move them at the drop of a hat. You know, it's not like with other teams to sort of say, we'll have a solid season and we'll finish mid-table and then we'll push on next summer. Newcastle have the ability to, to, to turn around their goals and their aims very, very quickly. And I think they've gone from January was avoid relegation. Summer's now getting to the top half of some of the signings they made. And there's no reason, like I said, why another six months' time they can't be pushing into European football. So as much as it seems a little bit underwhelming with two new signings and one bringing back from loan last season, I think if anyone, they're the ones who, who are going to challenge West Ham for seventh. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would fancy them to have a, have a pretty decent yeah. season as well. Let's have a little look at the, uh, the 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 back end of the table, the relegation spots, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Firstly, what 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 do we reckon to the uh, the newly promoted teams? Who do you think's best equipped out of them to stay up, Joel? I think Nottingham Forest, in terms of you mm-hmm. know, they've signed a lot of players, and there could be a case that they might be, you know too many, and, and you know, it's going to take some time to gel. But I think the quality of players they brought in. Uh, you know, something entirely I won you from you know, Berlin, I think, is, is built to play in the Premier League. Um, I think they, you know, they like to keep like playing a wing-back system. I think they've got some good wing-backs to come in and, and replace, you know, Jed Spence there as well. Did well last season. And I, I, I think, they've, you know, they've, they've, the, man, uh, the owner's back, the manager, and I, I think they, they could well be suited to, you know, there's a sort of story there as well about sort of being a sort of historic uh, top flight team, and I, I think the fans will certainly play their part in that. And I think that they'll be at, they'll have that little sort of surprise factor that, um, especially the first half of the season, maybe that won't extend to the second half. But I think that they can catch a few teams out cold in that first half of the year. And I think they'll, they'll sort of do what Brentford did last year, where they'll, they'll win a fair few games, you know, sort of August to October. Mm. And that'll be enough to sort of keep them out of the reckoning. And then, yeah. you know, okay, they might sort of drift off a bit, sort of, you know, yeah the mid part of the year, but I think they'll have enough to, to stay up. And I think them compared to you know, sort of Bournemouth and Fulham, who, who I don't think have done enough in the transfer market. And, and also, they're just nerds. They're just, they're just, you know, <laughs> you know they'll, they'll go down and they'll probably, you know, win the championship again next season, but both of them somehow will win the championship next season. And I'll just do this sort of yo-yo thing, which keeps happening with Norwich. And, and it's just, yeah, no one's going to pay any attention to them. They'll just leave <laughs> And I think you can guarantee they'll probably put some that on already. Yeah, I, I kind of hope Fulham don't do that. I kind of hope they break that cycle. I'm getting yeah. a bit bo- bored of it now with with Norwich and Watford as well. But yeah, I reckon I reckon Forest are going to be good this year. Actually, my yeah. my big hot take, and this is a hot take, you might want to put some sunscreen on for this one. It's so hot. Is that Forest will finish top ten, 
and Jesse Lingard will be the signing of the season. I've just got a feeling he's going to be like Ooh. his his West Ham form is going to come to the fore. He's going to be angry after you know the way his uh, his Man United career went south, and he's going to really kick kick on next season. Could be complete nonsense, and they get relegated. I mean, they've, <laughs> they've they've signed twelve new players. That's a lot of players to bed in at one go. But they've uh, spent almost ni- uh, ninety million pounds. Yeah, they? they spent more than Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Who saw that coming? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I don't have high hopes for Bournemouth. If I'm being perfectly honest. No, me neither. And I think Fulham are going to fall back into it. I know you said you hope not, but I just every time they seem to come up and make a few signings, I think, oh, actually, not so bad. And then after a few weeks, you're like, ah, okay, maybe there's a reason why these other teams let them go. <laughs> and even when they even when they signed some good players, you remember that summer they signed Anguissa and, and Michelle Seri? Yeah. Both of them you know, wanted by big clubs. And I thought, oh, go on, Fulham. You've signed some big names, some decent players here. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> Both of them were crap. They got relegated. I just it really... I don't know. I, I, I can't see it working out. But who knows? Who yeah. knows? I, I think oh, definitely not the forest of the promoter teams. Look like they've got some really good players. Um, and yeah, that Awaniwi, especially looking forward to seeing him in the Premier League. Yeah, I think he's yeah that, for it. that Mangala is supposed to be pretty good, isn't he? Yeah. Mangala, who they've signed him. Looking forward to it. Hope he's better than Eliaki Mangala, who was dreadful. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, that was, it brings Mangala flashbacks. When I yeah, no, no yeah. relation as far as I'm aware. So he should be all right. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who do you reckon might get uh, get sucked into a relegation battle? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Everton again. They're they're sticking out like a sore thumb to me. I've, I've don't, I don't yeah. have very high hopes for them. Um, Southampton, yeah, I, don't, I think they've done some pretty good business, but I'm not convinced by by Hasenhutl. Leeds again could be a problem. I think. Yeah, that's the thing. Leeds and Southampton, I think, have done some half decent business. Um, I know that Basunu was very highly rated at Manchester City, especially during his loan spells away from the club. Um, I think Aribo's been brilliant for Rangers uh, and, and that's when it comes to Leeds they've made you know, considering they've lost Phillips and Rafinha which is two massive players to lose Aronson looked really really good I thought in the Champions League um, for, for Salzburg Tyler Adams again at Leipzig looks good and Sinistera Feyenoord they look like they've signed good players but for some reason I can still see them struggling yeah. I can still see who was it at the back end of last season who was down there with Everton? It was Everton, Leeds, and... Well, Burnley, yeah, that was they went it. down at the end. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then it was who were just fighting with Burnley. And I can see them being in that area again. Um, and also, I haven't been entirely convinced by Wolves, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was uh, to think of in danger. Um, you know, Raul Jimenez looks like he's going to be out for the first month of the season. But even, even last year when he came back from his horrific head injury, he didn't look like he was quite the same player. Um, mm. I think the, the rest of their half on him scoring all the goals, and I don't think he's maybe got the ability to do that now. And, and they did not; they don't seem to be doing much business in the transfer market. So I think this summer we kind of expected it to do so, sort of have a sort of a reshape. And I think the plan was to sell Ruben Neves and then sort of reinvest that and sort of take the team onto a new direction. And that's not happened because the, the market hasn't been there for Neves. And and I think that that is a bit of a concern that they, they sort of haven't really progressed and developed as a team and I think that I, I do think eventually they should they might be alright because you know Everton are down there but I think sort of, <laughs> I, I think they could have a sort of a, you know a, a, a dreadful campaign let's say and the thing is that will save them is that because they have kept Neves there'll, there'll, be, there'll be games where Neves and John Martino can just run in the field and that'll be enough to pick up enough wins yeah. but um, I think they're, they're going to be a little bit of a danger though yeah, There's yeah. also a big question mark over Adama Traore. Does he come back and fit back into the team? Or do they look to sell him? 
I think they're trying to trying to get rid of him. But yeah, it's a bit. There's a lot of questions I would say about his, his stock has fallen pretty rapidly, hasn't it? In yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, it's almost like he's gone from being one of the most important players to they're sort of left with him, yeah. which is a, a little bit odd, I guess. And like, yeah, I haven't really been. I think Nathan Collins is a decent player, to be fair, um, from Burnley, yeah. but I can't see them improving on the top half finish. Another hot take of mine, maybe not quite so hot this one, is that I can see a case of uh, of uh, Brendan suffering from Brendan. Why do I say Brendan? Brentford. <laughs> Brendan Rogers on the bl- on the brain again. <laughs> Brent Brentford suffering from a bit of uh, the old second season syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that happening, especially yeah. as I think they um, haven't necessarily brought in like some improvements on, on, on what we've seen last year. Um, and again, I think losing Ericsson's a massive one because he really, really did dictate. Remember they had that amazing run where they didn't lose in Ericsson's first five or six games? Yeah. I think when he was playing, it just shows you how quality he was and how much he controlled matches for Brentford. And I think, yeah, in the second they, second season, they, it might be quite difficult. They do look like they're going to sign uh, Miguel Damsgaard, though, from Sampdoria. Oh, yeah, no, he's a good player. Yeah, He's a Euro 2020, wasn't he? And I think, if, obviously... It's not based by just from tournaments, but uh, he, he was good in Sampdoria until he sort of had a bit of an injury season last year. But uh, if, if he can adapt to the Premier League, I think that's a hell of a sign. Yeah. No, there. For sure. Well, let's have our, uh, our predicted bottom three then in that case. I'll go first again. I'm going to go Brentford's uh, 18th, uh, Fulham 19th, Bournemouth 20th. For you, Matt? Ooh. I am going to go Bournemouth definitely 20th, um, Fulham 19th, and I'm going to go, ooh, maybe a big shout here, Fulham 19th. Um, I might actually go for Southampton in 18th. Mm, I really think they're going to struggle. Yeah. Do you reckon, Joel? Yeah, Bournemouth 20th, Fulham 19th, and Everton 18th. Everton. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just couldn't help himself. Wishful thinking from yeah, Joel, yeah. as usual. Yeah. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Let's have some more, some other rapid fire predictions for the for the Premier League. Who who do we reckon player of the year? I'm going to go for Harry Kane. Mm, I was going to do that, but I didn't want to seem too biased. But <laughs> I'm going to go for Harry Kane. I think he's going to have a brilliant year. Joel, um, I think Kevin De Bruyne will win it. He just yeah, play <laughs> outright in the Premier League. I think I think uh, Mohamed Salah comes close. He's to also him very good at football. Yeah, and he <laughs> and he seems to win it without even having to be that good because he was not our best player last year and somehow won the Premier League Player of the Year. I don't know how how that happened, but yeah, fair enough. Uh, Golden Boot. I'm going to go for Kane again. I'm going to go for Salah. Yeah, sorry, Salah. Salah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, and young Player of the Year. I'm not sure about this one. I'll, I'll go for Foden. Surely he's not still eligible. Is it? Why is he winning it every year? He's like twenty-two, isn't he? Is is, oh, is it under twenty-three? I think so. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's twenty-two. Um, can I go for Jesse Lingard or? Or does <laughs> 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 he still not count for your player of the year? Uh, no, I will go for. Um, oh, so it's going to be a tough decision. This one. Mm, I'll let Joel go first before I think of one. I'm going to go for Jacob Ramsey, I think, from Aston Villa. Um, outside chat. Where, 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 and she'd be good enough to, to win it overall because it does tend to go to 
top six players, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like Villa, Villa will have to have an exceptional season for that to happen, I, would, I feel. Yeah, and, exactly, I don't know if that's going to happen. He really but, impressed yeah. last year when he had his eight sort of breakthrough campaign. I think he's got the sort of talent to be able to break into the England squad as well. So I've seen if he stays fit, having a really good season again and, and possibly even getting some a big move at the end of next season as well. Indeed. Um, I'm going to go for Erling Haaland. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose he's only 21, isn't he? Yeah, yeah or 22, yeah. is he? Yeah, yeah, we're 21. So, yeah. there we go. Craziness. <laughs> it, it's, it's almost unfair that he could win that award. Yeah. Well, like, it's kind of like, oh, mate, you, you, should be, you should be fighting for the Player of the Year award. It's not fair if you're <laughs> being compared with the kids. I think it's 21, is Team Wolf, what's going on? <laughs> and, and Nunez is twenty-three, the old git. Yeah, so he can't win it. <laughs> Get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, before we finish, because we are no longer just a Premier League podcast, let's uh, let's touch a bit on the Bundesliga with the uh, the new season for that one, also starting this weekend. Uh, we were going to go into it in a bit more depth, but unfortunately, our Bundesliga expert Lewis Ambrose wasn't able to join us today. So let's just talk about uh, the big two in the Bundesliga. The big question about Bayern Munich, of course, is they've lost Robert Lewandowski this summer. Do you think, Matt, they're going to still make it eleven in a row? 11 Bundesliga titles in a row without him? Yeah. They just just seem to have this hold on it. Yeah. That I think even if things don't go so well for Bayern Munich, they've still got enough. It seems to happen. I hear this every year. It's, oh, Dortmund have had a good summer. Dortmund have made some good signings. Mm. This could be Dortmund's year. And and it never is. And that's not to say they won't have a go at it or, or have a challenge. But I think potentially, um, you know, Leipzig are going to be up there changing again obviously Leverkusen are very good too but I just don't think they've got the consistency that Bayern Munich seem to have I mean, every time Bayern Munich have a blip they lose or draw whatever it never extends into a bad run of form yeah they sort of they'll have one game where they lose and then next game right back on it um, I'd be interested to know what Bayern's longest winless run is in the Bundesliga because if it's more than <laughs> two, two minutes. games yeah yeah <laughs> if it's more than two games I'd be bloody amazed yeah, um, uh, yeah again look, they have lost Robert Lewandowski but obviously they've brought in Sadio Mane and I think if Nagelsmann does change to a three at the back um, and has Mane as more of a, a central striker they've still got so much talent in their squad and this is without potentially signing another forward as well with the Lewandowski money yeah, I just whatever happens in Champions League or elsewhere, they just they they will win the Bundesliga. Yeah, I suppose the bigger question with Bayern is will they win the Champions League? That seems to be the the bigger prize for them, doesn't it? At this point, mm. I mean, there was a, an interesting quote from Maurizio Pochettino this week talking about PSG, where he was sort of saying that the problem with PSG is they're obsessed with the Champions League, and if you don't win that, everything that you do is kind of cloaked in failure, really. And I feel like Bayern are sort of, if not already there, approaching that as well. Like they yeah. need to win that to, for it to be considered a, an, an exceptional season. And I, and I don't know if Sadio Mane is the guy to deliver that to them. You know, I think he's an exceptionally good player, but I'm not sure. What do you reckon to that, Joel? Do you reckon they've got a chance? They, they should do in terms of we had, we had sort of Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané to take into that as well. Um, there should be more than enough firepower to get him sort of very along in the Champions League. But just, yeah, I, just, I don't think they, they sort of, I think they're still just a little bit step below sort of a Liverpool and Manchester City when it comes to, to the Champions League and obviously Real Madrid. And um, the, the jury is going to be out on, on Julian Nagelsmann as well, you know, sort of at, at, that, at that top level as a coach. He's obviously still very young and, and clearly has some kind of potential, but where that's like, I think last season, I think Bayern and him sort of got away with it, the fact that 
Dortmund and Leipzig were, were not good enough to, to challenge them overall because Bayern, you know, they did sort of suffer a few heavy defeats sort of in the, the Pokal to grab back and they, they would sort of rip the parts in, in the Bundesliga at times and, and mm-hmm. maybe the scores and showed up, but they did lose you know, more games than you, you think. And I think if, the, if it was sort of a more competitive league last year, then they'd be in a bit more trouble, but they're obviously just, they, they can go and lose games and, and still manage you know, to win the league comfortably. And so I, I, I still not quite sure about Nagsman as a sort of top level coach, you know, just yet, but, um, but, but we'll see. They, they, they've obviously got out this year and, and they've gone big on obviously in says the Blitz and, um, and, and brought you know, Manny in as well. And so yeah. obviously clearly what they, what they are going for this year, but that's the, yeah, there's just, just for me, just a little bit missing from them in terms of being able to challenge sort of City Liverpool and Real Madrid. Yes, yes. Well, Dortmund have done some pretty decent business. And as you say, we say that every year, Matt, but, you know, they mm. lost Haaland, but they've, they've brought in Karim Madayemi, uh, Sebastian Allaire, we'll talk about him in a second, Nico Schlotterbeck, Sally Oschan, um, Nicolas Zula. Zula well. yeah, yeah, so they, they've done all right. I mean, uh, do you think they've got maybe what it takes to, to put up a proper fight this year to buy in or? Um, yeah, like we said, I, they could put up a fight. I just... It would be it would be a monumental effort for them to, to overtake Bayern. They have had a very very good transfer window. Mm. Um, I think if anything, this puts them further away from the rest of the league rather than it does them closer to Bayern. Yeah, yeah. In, in my humble opinion. But who knows? Who knows? I could be completely wrong. Bayern have a nightmare and. You know, it was the first Dortmund title since, what was it, 2012? Yeah. It's way too early to say, isn't it? I think it could be the, yeah. maybe the closest challenge we've seen for a while, but I, I would probably back Bayern to, I, to win I, it again. I, I, mm. I think Leipzig will probably come closer, to be honest, than, mm. than Dortmund. Yeah, they too. Dortmund have had a very good window, but I think with Leipzig being able to keep hold of Chris Rankin, who probably could end up being the, the signing of the transfer window, should we say. And if you end up getting back team of Werner on loan, which seems to be reportedly happening, and uh, I think that could certainly help them because I think those two could complement each other very well. Um, and they've said uh, David Brown from, um, from Hoffenheim is a you know, very good left wing back. Mm. And, um, so, so I think that they, they've had a good sort of window as well. And, and there's a bit of sort of a momentum from last season. Whether that's sustainable, we'll see. But uh, I, I think if anyone's going to come closer to Bayern this year, I think it's more likely to be right safe than, than yeah, and, and the, the the Sebastian Allaire situation has knocked Dortmund for six. Yeah, obviously we we wish him all the best with his his recovery and and, and his treatment. But you know Dortmund, uh, they, they signed a player there who I thought would be you know a surefire guarantee of goals in the Bundesliga. They've now got to replace him. Any idea who they might replace him with? Who who they could get in as a sort of short term deal? Um, well, this this is the thing they. Do they go and actually spend some money on someone? Do they get a free mm. agent? The only one I've seen is Edison Cavani. Um, that, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't yeah, think. yeah. He, he, he wants a lot of money, um, but yeah, you're looking at probably a one-year contract, so it's not yeah. it's not really too much of a commitment. Despite the fact he want a lot in wages, I think he's a good a good style of player. I'm not necessarily sure he fits in with that big man, little man ploy that Dortmund are going for with someone a little bit wider like Marlon or Adiemi and and Haller, the focal point. Um, but yeah, if there's someone a bit bigger they wanted in that area, then it looks like um, Anthony Modesto had a brilliant season mm. uh, for Cologne last year with 20 goals in the Bundesliga. 
may be the one. But again, if it's a permanent signing on, you know, a three or four year deal, when Alaire comes back, you've got both of them, which isn't a bad thing <laughs> to have. You're just going to have to keep those two, Adiemi and Donia Marlin, all happy at once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, saw, I saw Edin Dzeko touted as a potential target yeah, that's a week or so ago. One. I mean, he's like 36, so he's not going to want a big contract or anything at this point. Yeah. Might be a decent one. Uh, we'll see what they do there. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week, uh, this episode. Uh, and I don't know about you, but it's warmed me up very nicely for the new season. I'm very, feeling very excited and pumped I can't for it now. Wait. Can't I'm wait. I'm excited until about three minutes in. Spurs concede an early goal. When I'm like, <laughs> we going? No, no, no. I'm being positive. It's a thing of the I'm, past, Matt. Yeah, Spurs I'm being positive is dead. this season. You watch. We'll see you on Monday. Yeah. I will <laughs> for the preview. I will see what happens. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back on Monday. Matt will be at the helm. And remember, you can get your questions into us by emailing podcast at onefootball.com or tweeting at football Dan or Matt underscore Frolick. Is that right? Yeah, I feel like I should change mine because no one knows how to spell my surname. <laughs> if I update it, I'll let you all know. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Enjoy the weekend. Catch you on Monday. I'm